This week, we talk about how both patience and impatience are important when hiring, how to learn new things, and much more. Let's go. Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Tyler? Uh, it's a short week for me. I'm flying out to Telluride in a couple days to go uh, do some snowboarding. Yeah. Man. Have you been to Telluride? I, I mean, no, but I was just thinking like I haven't been on the slopes, but one day and that was with you this year. You live in Utah. You got to do terrible. it. terrible. Like, <laughs> having a kid changes your life. Oh, oh, right. You have an excuse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Um, yeah. So I've been reading this book, The Great CEO Within. Have you heard about slash read it? I don't even know about it. What is it? So I, th- I found out about it because someone on Twitter was like, what what should a kind of new, like a startup founder that's stepping into the role of kind of manager, CEO, what what one book should they read? And a lot of people said this. So I started listening to it on Audible. I'm not through it yet, so I'm not quite ready for it. But um, it's so funny because it's not, well, let me, let me tell a little story. Uh, this is going to be such a tangent, but you and I used to work for Paul Zane Pilzer. He was our boss when we worked together. And for people who aren't familiar with him, he's kind of one of these like eccentric uh, serial entrepreneurs. That's he's writing books, he's giving, doing public speak, he's doing all this stuff, right? So when we worked for him, one of my jobs that w- was not a, an official part of my job. Do you remember when he had me help him put out his the audio book for his book, The Entrepreneurial Challenge? Oh my gosh, yes. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. <laughs> he like hands me all these audio files, and he's like, "We need to turn this into a book on tapers." I I forget what exactly I was doing. But as a result of it, I listened to this whole, like, it's like a self-help entrepreneurship book. And you're listening, did you listen to it or read it? I did not ever listen to it, but I know, <laughs> I remember this, this story. You know yes. what I'm about to yes. say? Yes. Yeah. So you're listening to it and it's like, I'm going to make this up because I don't remember. But chapter one's like how to raise money for investors. Chapter two is like how to manage people, like all business stuff. And then it's like chapter seven, don't drink milk. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be some kind of metaphor for like, I don't know. I'm. I'm not. I. I can't guess what this is. I. I listen to the chapter. It's literally just this dude doesn't like milk, <laughs> and he's like, I think you'll be a better entrepreneur if you don't consume any dairy products. That's like literally what this chapter was about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so how does this connect to the great CEO within? I feel like it's got a lot of good stuff in it, and also it's got a lot of just random crap that the author likes to do. Like it's giving advice on how to sleep well and like how he manages his task list and. I can't decide if I like how specific it is or if I'm like, this is not, you have, he, he hasn't created a framework at all. He's just like brain dumping how he gets work done. Interesting. And are you, well, I guess the question is, are you listening to it and going, oh, that's a good idea? Or are you going, that's weird? Um, a lot of the stuff that would be a good idea, I've already learned. So mm. I, I think what I would recommend it for someone who, very quickly needs to step into management and doesn't have time to learn it the right way. Mm. Um, but I think it's, error. what's the right yeah, way? Well, it's just really, it's a really shallow book. Like the right way might be read 10 other books instead <laughs> of this one. But if you just need like, like the chapters are super, super short. If you just need kind of a very quick overview of the, the key concepts, I think it's probably good. Yeah. I just pulled it up on my Kindle. I did buy it in 2020, but I never read it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever buy books? Oh, um, all the time. Yeah. It's like, I bet I read like 5% of the books I buy. Yeah, Ugh, I should I should read more. Yeah. Anyway, I'm, I'll keep working my way through it, but uh, 
it's a lukewarm recommendation right now, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So are there any takeaways though you could share today um, that were worthwhile? Um, you know, I'm in such a bad position because again, there are good ideas, but they don't, they don't like stand out to me as amazing insights because I feel like I already knew, learned it all. So like reading something else, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of good stuff about, it's not gonna be helpful on a podcast, just like moving fast and not getting distracted and like staying, keeping the advantage of like a fast moving startup rather than trying to turn into a, like, like a lot of management books are kind of how to manage if you're a mid-level manager at Procter and Gamble. And this book is very much like, here's how to avoid all those traps, which I like. Is it, is the idea like once you get to like 15 people type book, or is it more like, what's the size of company CEO he's writing to? I think it'd be useful at 15 if you're growing fast. So again, I'm at 20 right now, but we grew so slow that I could like, I didn't need to learn all this at once. But if you're like, just went and raised a bunch of money, I think probably like 10 to a hundred employees is probably about the right. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Sleep's important. That's a good takeaway. Yeah. He, he, he like gets into like, your stock portfolio should be 10% this, no. 70% that. And I'm like, dude, move on. Like, this is not what people are reading this book for. <laughs> That's anyway. funny. Uh, what's going on with you? Um, I have a win to report. Nice. Let's hear it. Uh, JD added two new clients via the agent of record switch at Leg Up Health last week. And that is a big deal because... First of all, we have this hypothesis that makes the business really sexy about how we can, if we could identify all the people in Utah who buy health insurance on the marketplace and just say, hey, like, make us your agent. Um, If we could convert them, that's a really interesting recurring revenue Mm -hmm. business because it's like signing a piece of paper, basically. Um, And he did that twice last week. So are these people, well, first of all, congrats. That's awesome. Um, Were these people, he was doing like cold outreach. These people came from that. One came from cold outreach. And one came from, uh, what was it? Uh, uh, networking he had done in Q4 when his, with his network uh, came from a, a referral from his network. Cool. Like brand awareness referral. That's great. Um, so yeah, I mean, so how many to hit the goals you have by the end of the year? Like, is this a drop in the bucket? Is this like meaningful? Like if you could do this every week, every month, how close would that be? Too early to say. Um, but I mean, he's in the low hundreds, um, of reach outs to get to this one client, mm-hmm. Did which is, you view that as a lot or a little, I, I think it's amazing. Like, yeah, I think it's a little to get to one client without, you know, without iterating on this. Um, I, this is success sooner than I expected. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cause for, for people who haven't iterated, like you just said, two, two things get better. One is you get, or JD gets better at doing this and probably you can double or triple the the conversion rate. And the other thing is all those other hundred people that didn't convert, they, they know who you are now. And like, you'll never be able to attribute it to what JD did, or maybe you will, but like you're kind of building brand awareness while you're getting these actual paying customers. That transitions really nicely into my second um, update, which is we had a big learning this week um, around how important under, understanding your ideal customer profile is related to outbound. Um, I've never had a business that had an outbound model that worked. And I'm thinking that Leg Up Health might actually work. And there's a, there's a characteristic that makes it possible. And it's um, being able to uh, create a highly targeted list uh, of potential customers um, and then reach out to them and build uh, like kind of like market research profiles for them 
that that assign like a percentage likeliness to convert if you if you like reach out to to them mm-hmm. and the, like very systematic and predictable um we can there are i don't know 3 million people in utah something like that i, I don't know the exact number but um 200,000 ish of them uh buy health insurance through the marketplace it's not just that like if it was going from 3 million to 200,000 like reaching out to 3 million people isn't possible but because our ideal customer profile is someone who works for a small business or is a small business owner, uh, is self-employed, a hairdresser, like these these particular professions um, that drive it, on a consumer basis, it's not. We could probably get a list of five hundred thousand people, you know, people that are like maybe mm-hmm. it's a, maybe it's a million people. We could cut like down that list and some number of people in Utah that have a 20% likeliness or 50% likeliness to be, um, in our, you know, be a qualified, uh, you know, prospect. Yeah. And then all you do is call those people. And if you, your goal is not as an initial outreach to convert them into a client or even give them the pitch, it's to learn whether or not they're an ideal customer profile. Mm-hmm. So we have this ability to like narrow in on a contact, a qualified contact list and then have a success of outreach be profiling them and identifying who are ideal customer profiles at a very high rate. And if we get that engine running, which JD's figuring out, like he's getting like profiles are a win, they're worth something. Um, then our value proposition is pretty straightforward. Like, and we will have some sort of close rate on pitching people on making us the agent. Yeah. Then you just pour money into it. Right. So uh, I'm not I'm not experienced with the sales stuff. Tell me if this terminology is right. So let's say this works. There's kind of JD's doing two jobs here. You'd hire an SDR, a sales development rep to to do the cold calling and qualify the leads. And then once you say this person, you know, buys through the marketplace and whatever else, then they'd hand that off to what's that other person called, like an actual sales rep? Yeah. So I, I mean, that, in a traditional SaaS company, typically like inside sales is the term for the model you're describing, where you have sort of this uh, sales development or business development representative who is like the lead developer. But generally those people are not profilers. They're mm-hmm. calling to like pitch, like they're, they're the crappy spam emails you get where they're like, let's set up a, let me set up a call to discuss our products with you. Even at like a refine, like at a company that's good at this, they're not, they're not qualifying. They're just like looking in the phone book and calling every number. I'm sure that they are like, they're pro- the term for that is prospecting, and they're probably prospecting based on what they think their ICP is. But there's a significant difference in their approach. Their goal is to book a meeting for the sales rep okay. versus learn about the lead and do nothing else. Um, and so, like, there's this the, the loop that JD is working on is what is the system we can build to like ingest a list of of potential ideal customer po- profiles with email addresses, phone numbers, that sort of thing, and then research those people through mm-hmm. telemarketing, email, uh, et cetera, and, and, and categorize them based on what health insurance they currently have. And then there's the, you get that loop figured out. Um, then there's this other loop, which is we have a new qualified I, you know, in customer profile. What do we do with this? Is it, is it, um, you know, do we reach out to that person and with from a different person or the same person or a marketing message? Mm-hmm. Do we wait till Q, you know, open enrollment to do something? Um, do we figure out who they are from a cookie standpoint and you know try to mar- digitally market to them uh, through like an email address uh, lookup? That's the idea. 
Gotcha. But that that list of these people seem qualified, that list would be gold for you. And and you could at some point put a dollar value where it's like every person we add to this list is worth $20 to the business. Yes. Or yes. And if they, like, if they close, if our goal was to acquire a customer for $100 and we had a 20% close rate, like if you gave me a list of 10, we, we believe that if you give us a list of five people in Utah with individual health insurance, we can go get, call five of them and get one of, convince one of them to make us the agent today. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a 20% close rate, which means, yeah, $20 per lead uh, costs $100 if we convert, you know, uh, 20% of them. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yes, that is the idea. Um, but the, the key learning here is like, I always tried to make outbound work without getting super granular and clear about ICP. Um, you have to be able to like create a, in order to do this, like the qualified contact list to ICP profile rate has to be predictable. And I never like connected the dot on that where hmm. at people keep, what I was trying to do is like, I'd just buy, like buy a list of small businesses, reach out to them and just like, Oh, hopefully they'll, they're a good customer for, you know, a qualified customer for same benefits. But there was no, like the, the likeliness that a business that was a certain size would be an ideal customer profile for people keep. It was like a such a low conversion rate that outbound wouldn't have worked because we couldn't get specific enough about the customer profile from a list building standpoint to have a, a high enough rate of where profiling made a difference. That makes sense. And I think for some businesses, like maybe this is a cop out. I don't think less annoying CRM ever could get there because there's not like 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 you have this amazing thing of are you do you have an individual health insurance plan through the marketplace? That's such a great trigger. Whereas I, a lot of businesses don't have such a clear thing that qualifies versus disqualifies someone here. I would, I would say, yes, they do. And what you're saying is true because it's, it's, it's not based on their profile. It's based on whether they have a CRM currently and are looking for a new CRM. Sure. Yeah. There's these, there's it's a, a temporary piece of information about them. Whereas yes. you have something that, yeah. I get, I get that health insurance changes over time, but it's more permanent than like, are you currently buying a CRM? If you it, the similar version of this would be for you is like, oh, they're buying a CRM. That's great. I can get them to switch their CRM to me. No, that's actually really hard. Yeah, <laughs> and if they yeah. don't have a, you know, in reality, it's probably better for you to find someone who doesn't have a CRM, which was mm-hmm. like Zane Benefits approach. And then it's like, okay, well, what's the likeliness that this list of any list of pe- people have no CRM? And it, the, the conversion rates get really low because it's like situational and like it's a trigger that makes them go on the journey to buy a new CRM, mm-hmm. which isn't profilable. Whereas like, do you have health insurance is profilable? Like yeah. very, very much. Um, anyway. Um, That's awesome. So I am now like, if this works, the business gets really exciting. And I'm now realizing that I don't know that I want to be in another bit. Like being in a business like this is super, like it, it triggers my greed gland because it's like, <laughs> so controllable. Yeah. And I've never had anything like this. And I just, I, it feels, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm almost thinking this is too good to be true. And yeah, unfortunately it probably is J- just in the sense that like life rarely has these opportunities that like, if you believe in an efficient market, you'd be like, well, surely someone would have taken advantage of this, but not always. Every mm. once in a while, someone does stumble upon like a great opportunity where it's just like, wow, there's easy money here. So fingers crossed that's true for you, but also like for your own mental health, I'd probably assume it's not true until it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No expectations. Yep. Cool. Uh, what's up with you? Um, 
I got a lot of stuff going on on the design front. It's, you know, we, our last episode was two and a half weeks ago and a lot can happen in that amount of time. So the first thing I had to say was, man, I'm, I'm feeling a lot of imposter syndrome with design, which is partially true, but also partially already been solved. So maybe I'll just go through, uh, that little roller coaster, emotional roller coaster. Um, so yeah, as a reminder, I'm trying to get better at design. It's partially, I want to learn and it's partially, I am actually redesigning less annoying serum. So it's like a little practical and a little theoretical. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways I'm learning is I'm taking this course called Shift Nudge, which is like an online design course. And they have homework assignments. And it's not like live. Like, I don't know my classmates or whatever, but they, the instructor has posted like previous classes turned in their homeworks and he's like does little Loom videos analyzing them. So I did the homework. And I didn't feel great about it. I knew like this isn't great, but I'm also like, well, this is like one day's homework like of course i'm not spending a ton of time on this and then i go watch these videos and everyone else is like way 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 better than mine and i'm like oh shit like i don't do i have what it takes to do this so i was feeling pretty deflated um for a while uh at that point i basically just had to do you know um ira glass maybe i mentioned this in our um end of year recap uh ira glass has kind of a little spiel about why learning stuff is so hard. Did we talk about this? I don't think so. He basically says, like, if you are getting into something, it could be cooking, it could be art of some sort, it could be design or programming, it kind of means probably you have good taste. Like, you're probably already a consumer of that thing and you already care about it. And so you can tell what good is. And the thing that makes it so hard to learn stuff is you know it's bad. As opposed to someone else who's like doesn't have any design sense at all, and they'd be like, "Well, I'm perfectly happy with what I designed, even though it sucks." Um, normally, if you have the drive to learn something, you can tell it's bad, and that's really demoralizing. And so he has this—it's—it's it's like a sixty-second clip, but it's like he's just like, "There's only one solution to this, and it's just putting the hours in practice." Yeah. yeah. Um, so I kind of revisited that and and tried to remind myself that, um, and and then yeah, like the just that. Design feels kind of innate, but it's not. Like there are some skills that like you know you can learn. Like, like I got into cocktails over the pandemic. I look at a recipe, it tells me what ingredients to mix together. I shake the thing, I have a cocktail. Like obviously you can learn that skill. Design felt a little more innate to me, but all the design instructors are just like, no, you 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 learn it. <laughs> so I'm trying to power through. Yeah, I mean it's I I I agree. So power through, man, like yeah. putting in the reps, like right. I want to see, I want to see 250 on the bench press by the end of the year. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I actually have been, but well, sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So what have you been doing? Yeah. So, um, that little crisis was maybe like right after we recorded our last episode. So I ha- I've had a couple weeks since then. And I spent a lot of time on design. First of all, just like lots of little things. Like I'm, I, I've done a little of shift nudge. I watched some YouTube videos. Um, Figma is the design tool that I and most people use. And they put out a ton of great YouTube videos about how to use Figma. And not only do I learn the tools, but I, I learned, I, oh, look at how they they really aren't using as many different font sizes as I expected in this, you know, that type of thing. Um, listening to podcasts, following more people on Twitter. So I just got like a lot of input coming in from all directions right now. And I feel like I learned just a huge amount in the last two weeks, uh, specifically about how to use Figma, which... And- yeah, that's. I feel like this. The, the similarity here for me is I was thinking about when I was learning, trying to learn how to code. 
and going through Webflow was super helpful, especially mm-hmm. when I was looking at other people's websites. It's, I looked at yours a lot. Um, it really helped me with my design to see like how other people were approaching certain pages and like what detailed decisions they were making around uh, headings, heading styling, that kind of thing. Is that the kind yeah. of stuff you're talking about? Yes, exactly. So I actually, I kind of wrote a list of takeaways that I got from this. And one of the, actually two of them are kind of included in what you just said, but I'll run through these. Um, the first one is like build a list of resources by following links. And what I mean by that is like, I follow, so I've, I've got another update, which is this designer. I, I mentioned this designer was making fun of our product on a podcast and we ended up hiring him. He's That's done with great. that project. But so I followed him on Twitter and then like he posts something and a bunch of people reply to him. And then I look in the replies and I'm like, these are all designers and now I can follow some of them. And they're linking off to YouTube videos and now I can go to that and then I can subscribe to that YouTube videos page. And like, I'm sort of slowly building this web of resources and I have this for programming and I have this for entrepreneurship. I just never had it for design, which is one of the reasons why I think I felt a little like isolated design wise. So that's one thing. Two, what you just said, observe the pros. Like taking a course is one thing, but just watching a professional at work, it's you see all these little keyboard shortcuts they're using and all these little tricks and stuff like that. And it's, it's just such a good learning experience. Three, and feel free to stop me at any point if you want to comment on any of this. Uh, three is like just a reminder to myself how important the tools are. If you're learning to code, don't just like open up whatever text editor someone recommends and start typing. Spend like a week being like, I'm going to get really good with VS Code or Sublime or whatever. It's worth the time. Um, and in this case, it was learning Figma. I, I know just so much. I, I haven't learned this much in a long, long time. And it, specifically what I learned about is how to use Figma. Um, and then my final thing here specific to design is just copy good work. Like every time I got stuck... I would just go exactly what you just said. I'd go look at a really good website and I'd be like, I'm just gonna make my buttons look exactly like theirs. And it's not, I'm not good yet, but it it really helps get you out of like writer's block. Yeah, imitate, imitating when you're like uh, paralyzed is such a, like, <laughs> such a good hack. Uh, whenever you feel stuck, just like look at what someone you respect is doing and just like mimic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and you, and it, it, as soon as you start doing it, you'll go, oh, that's why they're doing this. Oh, mm-hmm. and you have all these like takeaways. Um, this probably works in all fields, right? Like if you're a marketer and you're stuck, do some research on what your competitors are doing and you'll probably get a bunch of ideas from oh, it. Oh, totally. Um, in, uh, in wrestling, this was a, a concept a lot is like re- re- wrestlers, when you're training and practicing, you do a lot of video watching because what you feel your body doing in a lot of cases, it's very technical wrestling. Like videos of yourself. Videos of yourself. Um, hmm. And and then, but, but like it, also videos of other people teaching moves and that sort of thing. Um, but all wrestling starts with just mimicking what a coach is showing you. Um, mm-hmm. And then you just start realizing the nuances of the motion um, and breaking it down into smaller motions. And anyway, it's making me think like, yes, like everything starts with like basically copying something, someone else, and then mm-hmm. adding your own custom understanding what's actually happening underneath the hood. And then customizing that copy. Yeah. I know a lot of people learn to draw by tracing first. Oh, totally. That's a great yeah. example. Yeah. Um, I wish I had done that because then maybe I could draw. <laughs> I, I can't do to drawing and it's not, it's, it had worked out for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One day. Uh, and then, yeah, I'll, I know I've been doing a lot of talking, but I'll, I'll wrap this up by just saying, so 
the thing, so Brian Lovin is that designer I was talking about, and he offers a service called a crit, which is short for critique, I think that's what it means, uh, which is just $5,000, really small project. Like he, he's not like redesigning our site for us. He just, I gave him some specific things I wanted help with, and he kind of came up with a couple new designs. Um, and so that's done. There's actually a, a, he, if you look him up on Twitter, Brian Lovin, he kind of published a YouTube video walking through the whole thing, but Tyler gets a discount for mentioning Brian. <laughs> it is. It's a great business for him because he gets paid and gets content to grow his audience with. But mm. uh, I, it was valuable. I really like the designs he came up with. I'm, I'm going to change some things because like with such a small project, he didn't have time to really understand all the context. But the, to be honest, the most valuable thing is at the end of it, he sent me his Figma file. And I looked at it and I was just, my mind was blown. I was just like, this is how a professional uses this tool. Um, and so what I'm doing right now is going through and just trying to like, I'm taking my old design and doing it using the weird advanced power features he used to make his design just to like, again, it's like tracing basically. Um, and man, it's, it's, it's like mind blowing. I I've been using this tool for years and I thought I was pretty good at it and I didn't, I had not even scratched the surface. So I'm feeling pretty excited. Are you going to do more crits with him or do you think that's, um, that's something that, uh, is a one, one off thing? It's a good question. I I could see myself doing more, but not like what I would want is to kind of accumulate design debt. Like, I think I got what I needed out of this. I can go take this and do this redesign. But I could see like if he's still doing this two years from now, we're like, okay, we have new features. Things have changed. And that like the design slowly got less polished. And now let's do it. Do it again. Mm. I could see that happening. Cool. That's interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I'm feeling really like. I'm, I still feel the imposter syndrome, but I really, really believe I can, I can get out of this. And like, like if I just keep doing the work, I think I'm going to accomplish my goal of becoming a good designer this year. I, I you're well on your way, man. You're beating my, uh, all my personal goals. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, what's, uh, get, what's your next update here? Um, well, I'll, I'll kind of keep it on the personal front and talk about, uh, a goal. So last week I tried working out in the morning. That didn't work. Um, for lots of different reasons. So I'm going to stick with working out in the evenings and just try to be better at, at doing it. Um, so this might try this. I'm just doing a try a week related to personal um, development. Mm -hmm. my, my overarching goal here for those of you who didn't listen to the recap episode is that I want to get back to like basic daily habits of reading, writing, sleeping, working out, eating better. Like I, I lost a lot of those. I went through a lot of life changes last year from having a kid to uh, you know, new job. Um, bringing on a first team member, um, with my company. Anyway, it's a lot of change when I get back to the basics. So, um, my try this week is try, I'm going to try to make Sunday a no work day. So for the past six months, I've had my me my weekly meeting with JD on a Sunday. Mm. Um, and I've also been sending out my newsletter on a Sunday. Um, I also do a lot of like, uh, like catch up work on Sundays, like clearing my inbox, personal finance stuff. And I'm just going to like get, move that across the week. And so even like personal, because I wouldn't have thought personal finance would be considered work. You're, you're saying like no work in kind no of like commitment. this is the Sabbath. No commitment like, Sunday. Yeah. yeah. No, no, uh, no responsibility Sunday. Hmm. Except that for, sounds, you know, watching a kid. That sounds great. Yeah. We'll see if it works. Um, so yeah. <laughs> JD and I are going to move our meeting um, to a different time and day. Uh, I'm going to try to get my newsletter drafted and scheduled um, by end of day Saturday. Um, hopefully before then, but anyway, it's, um, I think it'll help. 
and uh, we'll see if it, how it goes this week. Yeah. Well, good luck. I, I've i known you when you're really stressed out, and I've known you when you're calm. And Calm Rick is uh, not just more pleasant, but like I feel like a lot more effective. So if you can give yourself a day to unwind once a week, I feel like it'll it'll be worth it, even if the other days are harder as a result. I hope so, too. Um, cool. So back to me, I guess, huh? Mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll ping pong yeah. it back. Ping pong. Um, yeah. So we're doing a lot of recruiting right now. I, I don't know what I have. To say. Oh, no, I do have something to say about this. So we're recruiting for three positions, but the most important one, is, like two of them are kind of internships and that matters, but it's also like, you know, it's not the end of the world if you don't do it perfectly. But uh, we have two full-time positions, two CRM coaches we're hiring right now. Uh, and I kind of realized last week or, or yeah, last week that just it was taking too long. And this happens periodically where I'm like, you know, in the early days of the company, just we would have been pr- pressing on this. We would have been you know, the moment we have a decision, like, are you moving on or not? We would have emailed the person and just the whole cycle would have moved a lot faster. And just as more people get involved and there's more process behind stuff, it's really easy to lose that sense of urgency. Um, So I just had to kind of like hit the reset button with the team and be like, we need to like really, really speed this process up. And what's going, not going fast? Is it not getting enough applicants or not moving applicants through the process fast enough? Or is it just an overall lack of urgency to fill the position? Uh, it's not a, so I should I, I should say what's the reason why it's a problem that it's not moving quickly? It's not that we have to fill the position quickly. It's that I think we're going to lose where we risk losing the best talent if we don't move quickly because yes. they're applying for other jobs, right? One of my biggest takeaways, like I've, I've read a lot of books on talent acquisition and did a lot of studying over the last six months. All the experts, like what what, what I if I if I were going to coach a th- another company on talent acquisition, I would say, listen, you have to be super patient about identifying the right talent, like and go through lots and lots of profiles. But the minute you find the right profile, you got to go fast as hell. Yeah. And there's just like, like like there's this patience on the front end and then the speed on the back end. Um, once you qualify, um, that's a very different, like it's very confusing to people. Um, and, uh, anyway, you said that in your newsletter this week and I I loved the way it was framed. Yeah. You patience on one end and impatience on the other. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It's really hard with recruiting because like, I think the same concept sort of applies with like product, for example, like we're going to d- brainstorm and give ourselves time to figure out what to do. But as soon as you figure out what to do, let's go do it. That's easy. The hard thing about recruiting, if you're a big company, you're like, we have a hundred openings. If you find the right person, just move them through. But we, if we, if you have one opening or two openings and you've got five good candidates, how do you move one person through fast if the other people's timeline isn't that fast? So, uh, good question. It seems like it depends. The way I would do this in a situation is I would have extremely high like initial qualification criteria mm-hmm. that like weeds out ninety nine percent of candidates mm. based on some really like strong rubric and interviewing upfront, and that's probably. I don't know who can do that interview at your company, but you're probably one of the few people who can actually do that interview. Um, you could probably train someone to do that interview, um, and but but they're going to be doing a lot of those, um, and you don't let many people buy that interview. And then uh, I'm wondering how many of those five candidates would make it through that that extreme interview. I think I, we actually th- this is not normally true when we hire, but this time we have at least five like 
after the first round of interviewing, we're like, these look like as good of anyone we've ever interviewed. Uh, so we've got a really good pool. And like another hard thing is like, so you, you move someone through quickly, they're good enough, you give them the offer. What do you say to the other for like, oh, we're not even going to let you interview, you know? Well, why can't you move them all five through to the next process and then go fast with all five until we you can- get to the last stage and then you make a decision? I mean, you can try, but like people have different schedules and like some people are doing it remotely and some are doing it in person and the remote people can move faster. Honestly, the hardest thing, my, my biggest takeaway is we should have shut off applications sooner because we kept the applications open and then we were like, okay, so we've got all these first round interviews. This is the thing that I got most frustrated about is I was like, the, someone interviewed at the very beginning, 20 days later, we had not gotten back to them. Oh, gosh. And I was like, this, that's, that's unacceptable. Um, especially because they, they killed it. They did great. And it was like, we could at least tell them they're moving on. Right. They were just sit- sitting in limbo. So uh, there's a lot of like easy stuff to do, but I still think there's a fundamentally hard challenge of like the last person applied a month after the first person. And it's hard to th- like, it's hard to give everyone a fast process when that happens. Well, yeah. I mean, it seems like you could be at an offer right now for the first person and be happy with it and be done with this. Yeah. So it's, it seems like you need to go fast with all of them. Um, it's hard to know. Fast enough. But so to do that, you then have to, you have to cut off applications and then it's like, well, if we get to the final round and we're not as excited about that first person, why do you have to cut off applications? I don't know. Maybe this, maybe I just need to get out of my head for this. It seems unprofessional to me to give someone a first, uh, to start someone in the process and then to reject them just because we hired someone else. That's like, we're not even going to give you a chance. I don't think that's unprofessional at all. I think that's just like how it works. Um, yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, I think that person would like to have an opportunity versus not having op- an opportunity at all. Like, sure. Like, well, it, yeah, but I mean, you can waste people's time that way. But yeah, I mean, if you're if you're like, I think there's a big difference between like, hey, we're going to make an offer to someone this week. Let's hold off on scheduling your initial round until they say yes or no. Like, that's one thing versus like, hey, we haven't decided to hire any of these people yet or any individual. We haven't made an offer. Um, here's where we are in the hiring process. You're coming in late. Do you want to continue? Yeah, telling them they came in late, I think, is. The key here, I, I will say, I can do this right now because we've hired a number of this role before and we're calibrated. I think it would be hard to do this when you're, you know, this is your first hire. You're probably not calibrated enough to do this. Yes. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's the hard part about, I think, moving fast with people is you, you can really good, not even good. It's not about good or bad. People who are, are comfortable moving fast with hiring have such have built up pattern recognition from hiring enough people and interviewing enough people that you, you, you're able to build out this confidence. That's really, really hard to teach. Yeah. Um, it's a gut feeling based on like lots of like signals that you're getting based, um, based on uh, interactions with someone. And, uh, it's hard to like teach someone that without them having the reps. Okay. So my takeaways from this conversation are number one, communicate to candidates that they're coming in late so that we don't feel any kind of pressure to them. That would take a lot of pressure off us. And number two, in the same way that like when you're dating, you can't be like, well, I don't, this person's great, but what if a supermodel is in my future otherwise or whatever? You just, you can't wait for like, like you have to be, if someone's good enough, you have to be willing to commit. Yeah. And I'd say if you're not willing to commit, then they're not good enough. Like get them out of your pipeline. Say no. Yeah. Yeah. So th- that's where it goes, like raise the bar a little bit more. Like if you're, if you have people in finals that like, you're like, uh, what to kind of see the next person that's probably worth being more patient on. And they probably shouldn't have gotten through as far as they did. But yeah, our problem yeah. is not that we're moving people forward that don't deserve it. It's that yeah. we have more 
great people than jobs. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm really jealous great. of big companies when they're like, we can like every good engineer that comes to us, we can hire, you know? Yeah. That, I mean, that's, you're, that's amazing. Like you're in a really envious situation. Like, uh, it's a lot of people to fill a role right now with the market, you know, the way it is from a talent acquisition standpoint is really difficult for a lot of yeah. companies. Uh, this is not a, an engineering role. I think the next time we need to do that, <laughs> we're going to, we're going to have a tough time. I don't think we're set up for that right now. Yep. The only thing I would say about your first takeaway, um, which was like, um, tell people they're coming in late is what I'll typically say in that situation is I'll say, you're coming in late. I'm happy to accelerate the process for you, mm. but you're going to have to like move through this as we can go as fast as you want to go. Yeah. And so I give them the opportunity to like, okay, we're going to have our first round out. If you pass this, you want to have another call tomorrow or Wednesday, yeah, um, if yeah. It's, you know, if it's Monday. So that's a good um, point. Well, uh, sorry to keep belaboring this, but that actually reminds me one of the, I think mistakes we made is Interviewing takes a tremendous amount of time to do it well. Uh, and, you know, it's like two people on our end for even an hour each. But if we're interviewing 20 or 30 people, that's, you know, multi that's two people's full time time. That's two weeks of full time work right there. Um, one of the problems is we we were trying too hard to, like, fit it into our schedule without disrupting our schedule. And this is another thing I said when I kind of got impatient is I was like, we can't do our normal customer service this week. We're doing interviews like figure out how to turn the knob down because, uh, yeah, like th that was one of the reasons we weren't moving fast enough was trying to do other work and, and we just have to prioritize. Yeah. I've seen that so many times recently, um, where, uh, an individual, you know, is a hiring manager for a position, but they don't want to allocate, like they don't want to say no to other things. Mm -hmm. and so the role doesn't get filled. Like you can't, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to hire for a role, um, yeah. especially if you don't have help. Like, um, yeah. if you're, if you, anyway, Yes. And that's your most important job. Like if I, I'm of the, there are very few situations in business where if you're hiring someone, anything you're doing is more important than that. It's yeah. I mean, it's, there's nuances, but yeah, I mean, yeah, people, when you're a people manager, getting the right people on the bus is the most important thing. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for talking through that with me. I think I got the, some good, good, good takeaways there. I love, so yeah. I'm, I'm, I mentioned it also one of my personal goals is to draft a, some of some writing on my learnings with talent acquisition. I have a lot. And I think that like one thing that should exist is like a 40 to 50 page, like guide to talent acquisition um, for anyone to read that can, it, like there's so much bloated content, high noise, low signal hiring content out there. Mm -hmm. like, if there was just like a really solid 40, 50 pages, here's how you like think about hiring holistically. And then here's how you interview. I think it would go a long way to helping people be more confident. Anyway, put a I'm course a, together. Not anytime soon because you're busy. But yeah, that's it's on my list this year. It's on my list because I I actually think a book is not right for this personally because I'd want to see video examples and I, I think like a more uh, multimedia type of approach would work better for this. You can be in my first cohort. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, uh, back to me, uh, Jade. So JD and I were we have a, a an annual goal this year of getting to 400 clients, which is the driving goal. And that's 10 X where we finished last year, puts us at about 225, 50,000 in ARR. We were talking, um, this past Sunday and we've been discussing this for a while. I was like, should we have a short-term goal? Um, like around what JD's doing now. And we ended up setting, uh, settling on, uh, rather than setting metrics as goals, we ended up say, settling on, um, desi like desired learnings. So I don't know if you've ever done this, but like the goal is to learn a few things mm. versus like hit metrics. 
And uh, so what, we, what we're currently operating, I thought I'd share this um, just so I think it's, it, it, you know, I'd like you to kind of hold me accountable to this learn, these learnings over the next few weeks. Um, but I, I think it's interesting just because I felt pressure to put a metric goal in place. And then once I realized like, that, like this is actually more useful um, and valuable to the business and to JD that we just settled it on this. Can I, before we dive into them, can yeah. I give an argument for metrics yeah, as a goal? It's not the, like I, I generally don't like metrics goal, but if you have a long-term metrics goal, I do think it's helpful to have short-term ones so you can tell if you're not on course because it sucks to have like a one-year goal and two months in you're like, well, we're already off track. And so that one-year goal is completely blown and it's, it's serving absolutely no purpose for the next 10 months. I think you're right. And we went through, we had that, we went through that exact same conversation, but we realized like if we have the learnings related to these questions, then we will feel much more like we will feel confident about hitting our 400 number. Okay. And so it was like, we feel, we'll feel on track, um, regardless of how many clients we actually have at that point in time. So this is to, for April 30th, 2022. And we listed out the following questions. The first question is how many consumers do we need to reach out to, or co- we call them c- contacting them to generate an ARR opportunity? What, right. and then within that, what do we need to say to that person once we like generate the opportunity? to make them like want to hear more like, okay. So there's like the qualification or you have different language, but the, mm-hmm. the initial outreach or some way of collecting information about them, how many of those do we need to get? And then once you have the name, how do we reach out to them so that they're willing to like receive our sales pitch? Yes, exactly. Okay. So how do we profile them? And then how do we pitch them? Mm-hmm. Um, second is how many business people, startup founders, uh, owners, uh, do we need to talk to to generate an employer opportunity? And this could either be a leg up health um, employer partnership, which is free, just refer your employees, or a leg up benefits subscription, which is a uh, twenty dollars per uh, per employee per month per benefit eligible employee per month. Um, do you have? Can I pause you real quick? Do yeah. you have any in your long like long term metrics based goal? Any guesses as to like what the breakdown between these two is, or just however the money comes is great. I, I don't know. We haven't done any, we haven't done enough pitching here. I got, we got, we have two leg up benefits customers and really no official leg up employer, leg up health employer partnerships. Um, but my guess is, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, uh, I don't have any data to say actually. Okay. I, I, I want to learn that. Um, I'm curious, like we haven't really targeted businesses in the history of leg up health with a value proposition. If we reach out to a hundred business owners this year, this, you know, over the next 30 days, I got to believe like 10 of them are going to be interested in doing something if they don't offer benefits and half of them, maybe like half are willing to like pay and half aren't. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then third is what can we expect in terms of number of new clients from the Utah association partnership sponsorship strategy in 2022? Um, this is related to like, we're investing in, um, uh, becoming members and sponsors of Utah associations. And like, what is that leading to? Let's get to a place where we can say like, yeah, we think we can get 10, cli- 10 clients per organization we join or something like that. If, and the goal is to be able to answer this question confidently. And then the, the fourth is, can we get someone to sign an AOR online through an onboarding flow without talking to them? Hmm. How are you going to evaluate that one? That's like these other ones. It's like you call people up and talk to them. How, how do you do this one? Um, so we've already had one go this way. Um, mm-hmm. So the, uh, the idea would be we, we profile people and then, um, oh, there's two, two 
pieces. People find us online um, through various uh, channels right now. One is through Google searches. Another is through word of mouth. And they're doing, um, right now we have online signup turned off. Mm. And so we're going to turn back on the online signups and let that, that uh, flow go. And, uh, you know, the question is like, do people go through the whole flow without talking to us? So driving signups, um, is the, is the, without through email marketing and through our existing, um, inbound flow is the, uh, question there. Interesting. I'd, I'd be interested in a, like a sub question there of like, what's the highest in the funnel for our last conversation to be? Like, do you need to talk to them the whole way down the funnel? Or can you just like do the qualifying call and then be like, here's the link, go sign up. That, that happened with one. So yeah. um, the one that was outbound, it was a one call um, and then send the link to sign up. And he went, the, the, the new client went through the entire process without uh, any more conversation. Hmm. Great. Cool. Yeah. I like so, it. Yeah, those are the questions that we're focused on and we're not going to like worry about any metrics. Um, like we track, we track how many clients we have. We track like Jay's tracking his calls and like he's tracking activity and reporting on it. But like if we can sit down on April 30th and have some good answers to like three out of four of these, three or four of these questions, I'd be really happy. I mean, you can't answer these questions without putting in a lot of work. That, that's what I like about these questions. There, there'd be different ones. Like one of the questions is what's our new logo going to look like? And it's like, okay, sure. Spend some time on the logo, but these you, you have to sell in order to answer these questions. Yep. Yep. And so, um, anyway, uh, what do you think about that? I guess just in general. Yeah, I think it's great. I, I have a, I I don't want to like move on from what you're saying, but can I give a little like Mm -hmm. tangent, which is, I think I have this written down somewhere. Um, have you noticed like, more and more, I feel like the pendulum is swinging away from output towards input as being the thing that people want to measure. Um, like, I think it probably swings back and forth over time where a while ago it was more like, you know, measure the value you offer and, me- you know, measure the outcome of the work you put in, which is great because that's what matters. But I think more and more I see people on Twitter and on podcasts giving the advice of like, you can't control whether your sales calls will work or whether this Google ad campaign will work, but you can control the work you put in. And if you take enough shots on goal, eventually you'll find something that works. So I'm hearing more and more input driven stuff, which it sounds like is what you're doing here. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. So I like it. I, I think it'll, it's a great North star for you to stay focused on. And I like that. It's not just theoretical. The only way to answer it is to get your hands dirty. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think it'll be interesting. I, I, I really do want you to hold me accountable on this podcast. Like if I come in in the first podcast in April and I don't have any answers to this question, I think JD, JD and I are going to have to have good reasons for that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Great. My Anything last, else? My last update, and then I'll turn it over to you for the rest of, of your items. Um, I have taken on, uh, this is exciting. Um, I'm taking on additional responsibilities at Windfall. And so I'm really going to get stretched for the next three to four weeks. Um, and, uh, I'm like excited about it. I haven't been this stretched in a long time. It's like, since like people keep days, I love the rush. I love the like mm-hmm. you know, excitement. Um, but I'm, uh, you know, I'm kind of nervous about it at the same time. So, um, I, you know, part of the Sunday, hopefully my Sunday, a try will help and I'll get through it and it'll, it'll all be good in 30 days, but I'm a little nervous about it. Will it actually end in 30 days? There is a significant push. Um, uh, related to it, um, that will take three to four weeks. Okay. Um, Cause then that, it will get better. That would be like 
as an outside observer, my my the thing I would suggest you look at you you pay attention to is when you're at People Keep, you had these same pushes that would have been fine, except it went on for like five years. Mm. And that kind of destroys you, sort of. Um if it actually ends in a month, I, I've got no no doubt that that'll be fine. I think so. Well, yeah, yes, yeah. I, I think that's a good point. Like these things, these pushes are okay as long as you have recovery time, um, and it's not like a regular thing. Um, yeah, well, this is part of the reason you at least took yes. in your conversations with me took it when when we were talking before, like in the last run of the podcast. You asked me if, or maybe this was offline. You asked me. But you asked me if I thought you should do it. And I was like, yeah, you, you love that. You love <laughs> being stretched. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I'm, I, and I'm going to learn a lot about myself too through this. So, anyway, uh, hopefully it won't affect um, this podcast. But, yeah. uh, you know, just a heads up. Cool. Um, all right. I got a uh, shout out here. Are you familiar with the brand Elgato? I think that's how you pronounce it. It's so funny. I, I saw this on the list and I did not pronounce it that way in my head at all. How'd you pronounce it? Uh, I don't know. I don't even think I tried. I think I just skipped okay. it and said stream deck. <laughs> just a word. <laughs> yeah. So it's a company that makes equipment primarily for like Twitch streamers and people like that, which I am not to be clear, but I love like gadgets. And I, I kind of feel like in my adult life, one of the ways in which I've gotten boring is I've stopped enjoying toys. And I don't mean like GI Joe, but like buying a thing I don't want to become too materialistic, but like buying a thing that I just am excited to tinker with and play with. And they have so much cool stuff. Um, so I just got a new little light for my uh, for lighting my face. I don't actually have it on here. Here we go. Boom. Now my face is lit up. This is oh, gonna, wow. Is this yeah. like a little deck, like a little console that you're pushing? Yeah. So the stream deck is a thing with a bunch of buttons on it, and you can program the buttons to do whatever you want. Um, so like one of the buttons I have to turn on my light and another one, like when I'm done with the podcast, you could just use browser bookmarks, except a lot of the tools I use aren't web-based. So I just like have like, boom, boom, boom. I hit like three or four buttons and it opens up all my podcast editing. It opens up Transistor. It opens up Audacity. Uh, so you can program it to do whatever you want. I'm not, it's for like streamers again, where it's like you're playing a video game and a uh, someone donates to your Twitch stream and you want to like thank them in chat, but you don't have time. So you just push a button and it thanks them in chat. Like I'm not oh using gosh. it the way it's meant to. Um, oh. But my favorite thing is I got a new mic stand from them. It's a low profile mic stand. So it, it doesn't stick up like most. It's just like really low along your desk. Um, and I just like push it back when I'm not using it. So it's right under my monitor. And when I am using it, I pull it out. Is it suction cup or is it um, what is it a vice it's a vice. It, it mounts to the desk, yeah. but like, I don't know how to describe it really. It just, it, it norm with normal mic stands, there's like this arm that sticks up like yours does right now and gets in the way of the webcam. And when, when you're not using it, it's blocking. Like I have three, three monitors. So they kind of wrap around me and getting something that could hold my mic in the right place without blocking one of the screens is really hard. And oh, their I low profile want, thing want, is great. Whatever you have, I want it because I hate this thing. It's like blocking my left eye right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's only a hundred bucks. Yeah. So uh, no, anyway, this is my advertisement for Elgato products. Uh, Tyler's also getting uh, royalty there as well. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, huge audience of Startup to Last yes. is just waiting to be monetized. Report, report your purchases back to us so we can uh, hold them accountable. <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, just figured I'd mention that. Um we got potentially 10 minutes here. Do you have any topics that uh, stand out to you to maybe spend the rest of the time on? I got nothing, man. That's it for me this week. Um, 
All right. I'm let, let me just ask one. This is from Shreyas, who's uh, a guy I chat with periodically, and he actually designed our uh, the homepage of Less Annoying CRM. He's kind of he's not a he mostly he works somewhere else, but he does some freelancing. And uh, he asked, and I think you'd be uniquely good at answering that. How to start a business when you're older? And I should say, if he's listening, he asked me this like a year and a half ago, so he probably doesn't even remember asking this. Um, but like all of my startup advice, I started Less Annoying CRM when I was 24. And a lot of the advice is like, be single, be young, have low expenses, and just YOLO, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how I, like my, the approach I took wouldn't work now. I don't have enough energy. I have too many other responsibilities. I can't live off of a effectively no income for as long as I did. I'm interested just like, obviously people following along know what you did. Like they, they followed your story. But are there any like key abstract takeaways that you think like if you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s are different from if you're in your 20s starting something? I know I'm springing this on you. I didn't warn you about this in advance. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I feel like the concepts are all the same. It's just like the the main difference is um, runway is a lot harder to come by. Like when you start a business, you, you need runway, right? Mm -hmm. um, and runway in this case means time to focus on the business that you don't have to worry about finances. Um, and so when you are a single and, and energetic and young, like you, your runway is, you need less runway. Um, and that gives you more, more time to, to work on the startup. Um, you need less sleep. I, I don't know. Like, I felt like I could sleep less when I was younger Yeah, and I didn't have any of these dependencies. And so, um, like I can't afford to have a bad night um, of sleep, not just because like it'll affect my work, but I don't want to be a bad husband. Or so it affects. Like there's all these like it's like time is more precious, um, as well as uh, as as money. Like and um, do, do you think you're at a disadvantage? Like 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 if you could, let's say you don't care about any other aspect of how it affects your life or whatever. Are you more likely to succeed now starting a business? And let's say you were going. Well, you're able to go full time if you want, like versus when you were 24, 25. Gosh, you know, it's funny. I, I feel like I'm more likely to be successful now. Um, prior, I mean, part of that is like, I don't think I would hire, have hired JD hmm. if like, I, you know, in, if I were in a, younger, you just have done, gone and done it yourself and myself. And I would, I think, I think I'm in a much better situation with JD than without him. Um, as an example for like a pelth. Um, I also think I'm wiser, um, more thoughtful, I, more empathetic, uh, I think more focused. Um, I don't know. There's lots of it. I, I, it's very, like, very hard to pull off the trade-offs. Yeah. Let me attempt, as you're talking, like what occurred to me is, so w wisdom, let's just use wisdom as a placeholder for all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, that's what you have when you're older. You probably mm -hmm. have less energy and all, maybe you have more money too, depending, but it does it do you agree with this statement that if you're starting a company in your 30s and beyond you probably are going to maximize your chances of success if you start something that can leverage your wisdom which is to say maybe you don't have experience starting a business but like if you're a real estate agent for 15 years and then you want to start a startup don't go start a restaurant like start a startup related to real estate yeah yeah by that cuz everyone has wisdom in something as they age, right? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, 
what, what, what if, there's pros and cons of each situation. Um, I think like it's a lot easier to just make the decision to start a business when you're young. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like it's a lot harder to make the decision to start a business um, when you're older, but like, because it's harder to make a decision to start a business when you're older, you make better decisions um, because there's more writing on them. Yeah. Whereas like oftentimes, like probably when you're younger, you make more reckless decisions that don't give you, maybe there's an experimentation advantage there. Um, but maybe, uh, I don't know. It's a completely like situational question yeah. um, that t- takes into account so many different factors. But like, I think the best advice for anyone that wants to start a business is just start. <laughs> yep. Sounds good to me. All right. Yeah. I, that's more or less what I was expecting to get out of that. So uh, what do you think? Good stopping point. I would like to hear about, um, let's see. I said well, we were going to review the lessening serum product product roadmap at some point. I don't think we have time. Yeah, for I don't that have time today. for that either. Um, let's uh, let's 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 call it. Um, All right. Are you good? Otherwise, like, how's life? Yeah, life's good. I I don't know how you're feeling. I I'm like more cautious about COVID stuff than the average person. I think, and I'm really feeling like like the weight is being lifted right now, both with warm weather coming and we reopened the office fully as of this week. Uh, and case numbers are really low and saying, I'm just feeling like, I mean, I know this could all change a week from now, but uh, I'm feeling like very optimistic about just being alive for the next six months, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, we have Russia invading Ukraine to just like create a whole right. new problem. Yes. I don't feel optimistic about that part of it for sure. That's yeah. It's so hard a- when life's going well for you personally, and it's going terribly for so many others, like. I don't think the solution is to be miserable, but like also you feel guilty just like enjoying it and ignoring everything else. Yeah, I don't know. Totally. How's life for you? Life's good. Um, I, uh, I'm just, I'm really, one of the best things that came from COVID is this whole work from home thing. Mm. I really like being able to walk up in the middle of the day when I have a free minute and just say hello to my son or my, my wife. Like I, I would be never seeing them hardly if I were had to go to an office. Do you think you want fully remote? Like it, it, oh, if yeah. you weren't starting your own company, if you were I like fully remote, I like, I like fully remote with the ability to come together, um, when needed, uh, mm. in person, um, which does require like a proximity, like, like limited, like you have to live within a certain radius, um, of a, yeah. meeting, of a meeting point for that to work. Um, I don't know exactly where that meeting point should be for leg up health, but it's interesting. But well, like, it's nice that if you're selling, at least for now, you're selling health insurance in Utah. So it's not that much of a stretch to be like your employees should probably be not totally local, but they they shouldn't be they should on be, the other side of the world. They should be interested in Utah, like and yeah. whether that they should be interested in spending time in Utah and that sort of thing. But living here full time, I don't have that expectation. So I, yeah, I gotta clarify enough. what I what I need. Like, but but like, yeah, listen, if if JD, for example, and I want to get together, I'm willing to go wherever he is. And he's willing to come wherever I am. And I think we'll make it work. It gets more complicated when you have more people. Yes, for sure. I do have an update that I should probably just share. I do have, uh, I did make copies of the comp plan we put together. Did I share that with you? Uh, yeah, but you shared multiple documents and I'm not sure which the right one to share is. So wh- <laughs> why don't you Slack it to me and I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. Cool. All right. See ya. So yeah, anyone, anyone interested in what we talked about? Was it last time or two times ago that was... Rick's compensation plan with JD. Uh, we'll we'll put those in the show Which notes. Which was mimicked and copied from Tyler's work at Less Link CRM. Yeah. 
Awesome. Well, I'm good. Let's call it. All right. See you later. See you.